Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Uh, I want to start here. Around here we have a working definition of testimony. Uh, the testimony is the point at which the Holy Spirit empowers the story of me. Watch this, please. You may want to grab a screenshot or a picture of this. The point at which the Holy Spirit, watch, begins to live in me and empower the story of me, empowers the spiritual gift in me to release grace through me. And that, that is not just assembling a bunch of Bible words. All of that through the years you've heard teaching on, on that, but just indulge me for a second. The Holy Spirit empowers the story of me. Acts 1 and 2 is about us being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can become testimoniers, witnesses, it says, same Greek term. We can have the testimony of Jesus. Do you know he's working his testimony through us, and that's a whole powerful study story. Empowers the story of me and the spiritual gift in me so to release grace through me. And one of, those, uh, one of the words we study in Scripture called spiritual gift actually means a concrete expression of grace. So a testimony is grace being manifest in some tangible, touchable way. And it happens as I begin to share just my story of where I've been, where I've come. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, Tana Rogers um, uh, made reference to her story on on the face on New Hope Facebook page, and I thought, you know what? People here have not heard her story. They just see uh, Tana and see her running the world and, and fixing all the problems that may be going on behind the scenes around here. And I texted her and I said, very soon you need to come and share your story because it's one of those moments that you see people here and think, oh, they've just probably been okay all their life. But if you know her story, and in particularly, as a matter of fact, I, I wish I could have twisted her arm or prepped her to share her testimony on Mother's Day and hearing her story about being born and not going home from the hospital with her mom, but being taken home by her grandparents and being raised with her grandparents, uh, by her grandparents. Powerful testimony. But this testimony is the point at which the Holy Spirit empowers the story of me to release redemption, to release grace through me. That is nonetheless the case as we enter this passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 is going to be the focus of it, but we're going to back up and read the verses in a second. But 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. I like King James as a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit. Now, you'll notice on the screen there the word spirit is lowercase, little s, as if to say that spirit of whatever. But you're going to discover in this passage, and one of my mentors at a distance, Dr. Gordon Fee, this is one of the 14 or 15 occasions where the word spirit shows up. And as a textual critic and New Testament scholar, he argues passionately, and I, I, I have bought into this argument, that this word spirit should be a capital S, meaning this, beloved, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, working the testimony in you, is not a spirit of fear. And that's what he's saying here. You, you, we need to get that. You need to understand, you don't have a Holy Spirit that is a Holy Spirit of fear or timidity. You don't have a Holy Spirit that is a spirit of powerlessness. You don't have a Holy Spirit 
that is a spirit of purposelessness, sound mind, being able to, to, to walk that way. But you have a spirit who dwells in you, who's all about establishing in you. You have power, you have a place, and you have purpose. Do you understand that that's what? You have power, love, like nothing else, gives us a sense of place. And then sound mind, I can know what steps to take and navigate this life. But he's writing to Timothy. And what you're about to understand is that while Paul says some things about his relationship with young Timothy, we're about to read something. I'm about to read to you about his grandmother and mother, his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice. They're only mentioned a couple times in Scripture. This is one of them. Please hear me. Matter of fact, let me read the Scripture a bit out of sequence. Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16 Verses 1 and 2, they say this. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. These were places on his journey. And a disciple was there named Timothy. Same Timothy. He, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, uh, okay, let's finish that. Yeah, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Now, what you will learn in studying is we're about to read a passage of Scripture where Paul says... I have become, you have become a son to me, and I've accepted that I'm a father to you. Many suspect that the father was probably dead, but here's the backdrop you want to get. Timothy was what would be referred to pejoratively and, and in a very ugly uh, fashion as a half-breed. He was born of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Now, if you read Scripture and understand Scripture and know the disdain that Jewish people have for Greek Gentiles, of which Greek would be Gentiles, okay, that the Jewish people no doubt wouldn't accept him. Timothy had not been taught the Word of God because that would have been typically the role for the father, and the father would have also attended to, in every Jewish young man, the father would have also attended to circumcision. And we learn later on the story as a sort of a side note that Timothy, as an adult, had not been circumcised. When you read these things and begin to put together the picture of seeing that it is fair conjecture that Timothy's father probably had died and now steps into his life Paul, but listen to what Paul says as he's encouraging this this young pastor who would become uh, uh, a pastor of, of one of the more problematic congregations in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith in, within you. This is Paul writing to Timothy, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I am sure that it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on my hands. Here comes the verse. For God has not given you a holy spirit of timidity, but one of power and love and a sound mind. Now, how many can begin to understand why Timothy would have struggled with timidity or being shy or intimidation? Everybody get why, why Paul is, and he does it a couple of other times, encourage him to step boldly, stand boldly, and stand against it because he grew up potentially fatherless, he grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a role where he was cast between two racial or ethnic groups, if you will, and he wasn't accepted by either one. The, the Greek culture would have treated him 
as an outcast, and the Jewish culture would have treated him as an outcast. He didn't have anywhere to go. Living in a constant state of intimidation would not be a far-fetch or a far-reach. Anybody found yourself in an awkward place in life? Anybody found yourself betwixt and between, not sure where you stand, how you go, what next step to take? Listen to the language here. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Can I point out something to you there? If you were to back up and start at verse 1, you would find out that until verse 7, you see that God has not given us. That's a plural pronoun, possessive. Prior to this, Paul has said, you, me, my, yours, I, all, all, all first person, uh, uh, excuse me, pr- pronouns. But here it's plural. When he gets to verse 7, it's that spiritual father reaching out and saying, I know this, I know that, but son, listen, God hasn't given us. It's the first time he says us. Can I tell you, when you're walking through either encouragement or correction, at any point, parents, moms, dads, pastors, whomever, if all it is is you, me, my, yours, me, I, if at no point it ever becomes us, then there's no redemption that's going to happen in that conversation. Remember that in your marriages as well. That's a freebie. Just, let, just take that for what it's worth. Therefore, verse 8, therefore do not be ashamed. It is clear that Paul is, is telling Timothy and understanding Timothy is having an issue with shame. How many know that that is not a far stretch understanding now what we understand? This young man grew up with nothing but shame. You see, a couple of years ago in teaching on this, we started a series that actually led up to Mother's Day two or three years back, four actually, and uh, I made a quote to you then from an author, PhD author, Brene Brown, who defines shame simply, and she advances an extensive background to support it, but in the simplest of terms, shame is the sense of not enoughness, not enough. I'm not tall enough, smart enough, I'm not the right color enough. Um, I'm not the right age enough, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm not enough. At every turn, not enough, not enough. How many know it wouldn't have been a stretch to understand how young Timothy could have fought against, I'll never be enough. I'm born between two worlds. It's not going to go away. But in step, a grandmother and a mother that said, we are not going to sit silently. Now hear me, moms, because here's where we meet today head on like never before. We're not going to sit silent while culture informs my son of who he is. I'm calling on moms like never before. I'm calling on moms like never before to jump in because we're living in a culture where there's every voice, every influence, every input, government rewriting. Pause. I don't, this is not a political platform. Never has been, never will be. I warn young pastors against that. I'm only making reference to the statement I'm going to make is a reference to the consciousness of culture. I want to be clear because it is not political in any way whatsoever. Secondly, we, I, never stand here and preach to the world about how bad they are. That's like shouting at fish they're wet. 
Paul was very clear, and I've said it over and over in 1 Corinthians 5, when he says, listen, what do I have to say to the world? I fellowship with them. I'm going to hang out with them. But when it comes to teaching, correction, and instruction, that's wasted notion because they've never bothered to embrace the faith that we've embraced, the Savior we know, the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So he says, I want to be clear. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. So when I make the statement I'm about to make, It is a statement about culture. I could probably make 20 off the top of my head. But one that caught us recently was when our our latest Supreme Court judge was going through uh, the the process of approval and verification, was asked a question, one question. Can you tell us what a woman is? Answer, no. No. My only reason for mentioning that is when that type of when I say departure from the ethic of Scripture, everybody got that? If I stand here and say, when that type of insanity, and everybody in the room would say, oh, yeah, or at least the majority would say, oh, yeah. I'm not here to say insanity because I'm talking about a world consciousness. Paul would address a world consciousness. It is a world consciousness. That's, that's all it is. Now, to us, that seems crazy and a departure, and I could, hear, I could sit here and really elaborate at great length the argument I could make against that, but I only want to make one point, that if you think that kind of statement coming into the ears and minds of our children, influencing the consciousness that you, you can't even know for sure who you are down to your gender. Please, somebody hear me. I'm speaking to the church. I'm not bashing culture that's wasted time. I'm talking to those of us in this room. Parents, we need to be able to represent what Scripture says. As a matter of fact, in the months that are ahead, coming into the fall, there's going to be a couple. We're going to shift some things because I want to get in the room with smaller groups, 25 or 30, and say for this six weeks, We're going to study this, parents, husbands, whatever role, business owners. It just sort of came to me uh, to to do an intensive application for the various roles that you walk in. Matter of fact, I'd love to hear back from you about that. If there was going to be a six-week study on how do I walk out my faith in as a business owner, how do I walk out my faith in as a a parent, a mom, a dad, a son, a daughter, as an employee, at working perhaps in a school system? And by the way, here's another thing that I'm, I am praying about bringing to the elders that never been on my heart to do uh, in, in all these years, and that is, here it comes, okay? And that is something that's gripped me is to build a school right on that property next door. Now, you hear me. I believe more than ever, we need a place where we can train our children We need a place that we can make cost-effective. We need a place that we can be a voice in helping parents. Did you get that? We don't take your place, ever. Helping parents raise up children who will live a testimony as happened here. I've said way too much. Would you join me in prayer about that? Because I'm going to be on a mission till I die. Uh, I believe from this point, because I'm already talking to pastors, given what's going on in culture and saying to them, if we have church property, and especially if it's paid for, I'm believing ours will be this year, you need to take, I'm talking to other pastors, you need to open some little school, some little place where they can gather, even if it's a cooperative. 
gap because we need to start speaking intentionally into the lives of our children. You have no idea what this generation is being insulted with, okay? Let's finish this. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, according uh, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now, it, it goes on there. Uh, I love verse 12. It says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Watch what he says. But I am not ashamed. Why? For I know in whom I have believed, that is Jesus Christ, and I am persuaded, that's a faith verb, convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm not ashamed. Beloved, our kids, parents, moms, dads, are being threatened with everything. Oh, you believe that stupid stuff? Oh, you believe that silly stuff? Oh, you think that about you? You think that? They're they're being confronted like never before, never before, in that sense of uncertainty or shame. Should I back up? Paul addresses it head on. I like 2 Timothy chapter chapter 3, just two chapters later. Listen to this, verse 13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Watch. You learn them all from me. That's not what he says. Next verse. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. You've learned the sacred writings. Do you hear what he's saying? That what your father should have done, your grandmother and your mother did. And what should be embedded in you as a young man, it's there. I know you may not have had a father that could pull it off, but you had a grandmother and a mother who was purposed to not let you grow up not feeling enough. And they knew the remedy for not enoughness or shame was to introduce you to the God, to the Jehovah God, and then their Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew the biggest fix for that was that he would become your personal Lord and Savior and that he would work through a testimony. He would actually take your fatherlessness and make it a platform, but from which he would leap off and touch the lives of the people you would encounter. But, beloved, please hear me. Get me. I wrote this, this, this statement to myself, that, and I'm saying it to me, that if we struggle with shame, we have not learned testimony. If we struggle with not enough, we don't understand what we, how we were, Peter brings it to mind. You weren't purchased with silver or gold, bro. You were purchased with the blood of the lamb. So I want to tell you what you're worth because I know what you were, what was paid for you. Father, break shame. Break the shame off parents, moms, and dads so that we can break, we can be shame breakers. Jamie, your testimony always comes back about the nickname they gave you as a child, Shamer Joe, and what that meant to you. 
I have never seen anybody take a designation of shame and so absolutely flip it on its head through the power of testimony as that young lady. I've never seen anybody more greatly get in the face of any whisper of shame and say, I was raised to say I was nothing but shame, but I want to let you know that I'm the shame breaker. There's a testimony in my heart. I know a Savior that broke it off my life. Let me share that with you today. Mm, Okay, let me just go ahead. A mom who understands shame, a Jewish girl married to a Greek, why would she have been given to a, married to, excuse me, or was she given to a Gentile of all things to be married? That was even worse yet. Perhaps she was forced, we don't know. Perhaps against the will of her father, we don't know that either. Either way, she would be rejected by the Jewish community for the perpetration of this extreme violation. If she had no choice and was, given, uh, and was given away to settle some debt, who knows? Imagine the sense of powerlessness and injustice that she had to, go, to live with. On the other hand, if she acted out of rebellion, imagine the sense of failure and rejection she was now experienced because of the choice made. But then comes the son. And then Eunice would give birth to Timothy, who was certain to be rejected by Jewish people. So here's the question. Will this child now simply become a reminder of her own shame? Not according to Tim, but Paul. Paul said they flip shame on its head. And I know that you're experiencing shame and struggling with shame, but he says, I want to remind you, you didn't learn that from your grandmother or your mother, and you certainly didn't learn it from me. So what do you say we deal with this now and move on? Moms, like never before in culture, you are a shame breaker. Like, if you want me to tell you what I think is a primary mission right now in 2022 in this culture, you're a shame breaker because your kids are going to come home every day and say, I I just don't know. They tell me I'm weird because I love Jesus or I'm left over or or I'm stuck in some antiquated system. And they just say, I can't believe that. And the Bible isn't really real. And because of that, we don't know this and we don't know that. Every conceivable question Assaulting their faith is hitting them now like never before, a hundred times more than when I was a teenager. And I heard preachers then saying it was bad. Scripture's still true. With every generation comes an increased attack against that generation until we see. Why do you think Paul would declare, even so come Lord Jesus? I think those kind of prayers and songs are going to return. Timothy would come in from playing, hearing himself called half-breed by the Greeks and called a Gentile dog by the Jewish people because of his Greek father. Timothy would not be allowed into the synagogue to learn of the faith of his mother. Either way, there was another matter at work here, Lois. When Paul makes reference to Timothy's legacy of faith, he makes no reference about traditional Judaistic training. We can conclude that because Timothy had not been circumcised, as I mentioned, but then enter grandma and mother. Paul would enter Timothy's life and perhaps become the father Timothy didn't have. Paul would essentially say, Timothy, your name means Tamao Theos, honored of God. Beloved, can I tell you that it is no accident. Please, every parent, every mom, look at me. I know every child you have is named Timothy. Every child, you getting that yet? Every child you have is named Timothy. Every child you have is honored of God. 
every child you have. It is up to us to let them know that and learn that. To understand, see that word honor, tamao, means the valuation by which status is established. That's what the Greek word means. The valuation system by which status. Watch, our kids are coming in every day saying, well, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm ashamed. They tell me this, I'm not that. Beloved, we're on the front line of giving them honor and establishing the honor that God created them in. We need to speak it without equivocation and with force. We need to pray. I'm just going to stick this in right here. For those of you that are here that never met my mom, it's one minute long. And this was taken about two years before she died. She was watching the news with my sister Cheryl and her daughter Amy. And something came on the news about a problem with the child. I don't know what the story was. And something was going on on the news. So in keeping with mom's conviction about prayer. She doesn't wait to get permission. She doesn't wait for another moment. While the news story was praying, it wasn't any, could you turn that down? We're going to pray now. Prayer just happened. And that's the way the girl roll with it. Can you run that real quick, Amanda? Lord, turn it up loud, please. You said you made the earth and there was nothing in it. Watch that hand. And you made all things, and you did all things well. We ask you now, though we don't know that child or that mother, to touch them and let that mother know where her help comes from, Lord. Yes. I thank you and I praise you. Lord, Give me grace and hope and continued prayer and faith to believe that there will be healing. That is why you have me here, Lord, to pray. I feel so impelled, Lord, to pray for that child and to pray for everyone who needs the Lord, who needs help, who needs healing, Father, in the name of Jesus. She was 92 years old. You're talking, she had, the, she had the fearlessness of Rambo. Time to pray. She didn't wait for permission. She didn't wait for the right setting. Could be in public, in a mall, in a restaurant, in a setting like whatever. But when something came that flipped the switch, the only thing that's going to address this is prayer. It was, I'm going to pray now. I grew up hearing the first sound every day was her praying. First sound. Before we'd leave for school, every day we'd pray. And if I wasn't leaving the house on time, which was even then pretty rare that I did, let's pray. Mom, oh, Let's pray. I mean, she'd walk out of the room, still have sort of her morning prayer, prayer tears in her eye. But if you, and, and you'd expect that prevailing sweetness to sort of hang on. But let's pray, honey. Well, mom, let's go. We need to pray. Well, mom, let's pray. Yes, ma'am. And she didn't pray short. She prayed long. She prayed until she thought she had touched God. I see several of you nodding your head. Because when that hand went up, 
She believed she was touching another hand in an unseen dimension. You heard me say that before. And she'd reach one like this. She'd take the hand of the person she'd praying for, and she'd reach one right there because she was convinced that when she was done, all she was was a contractor. That when she was done praying, that the person whose hand she was holding, she could pull her hands out of the way because they now had a direct contact with him. She believed that. Mothers, 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 pray with your babies. I don't care. You're sitting there thinking, listen, I I don't even know how to pray. Start with something. You say, I I don't know. I can give you a list of bad prayers in the Bible that work. Want to hear one? This doesn't even count as a prayer. Thief on the cross next to Jesus. Um, Dude, whoever you are and wherever you're going, could I be with you today? Could I go where you're going? Jesus responds back. Today you'll be with me in paradise. How many know that was the worst prayer in the Bible? That's a bad prayer. Anybody ever prayed the prayer? Uh, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I can give you a scripture for that. Romans chapter 8, verses 26, 27. When you don't know how to pray, it says do it anyways. Why? It says because the Holy Spirit in groanings too deep for words will pray through you. Well, how is that going to work out? Read the next verse. And we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Moms, pray with your babies. Pray with your babies. Pray with your babies. Pray with your babies. I don't care if your babies are 50. Pray with your babies. You know, normally I give you a different task for Mother's Day. Here's what I'm going to give you. Before the sun sets, you talk to your babies. I don't care if they're five or 60. Talk with them. And when, you, when you're done, can I pray with you? I don't care how old they are. Can I pray with you? I, I don't know that that prayer is good. It works. Pray with your baby. Okay, let's go ahead and finish this. I'm done. My goodness. Time, always, time is always less than my sermons. I think I've done what I need to do here. Ultimately, as a believer, shame is an indicator I may not understand the testimony at work in me. I want to land there with moms today. Moms like never before your kids are facing an onslaught of a countercultural message giving them uncertainty about can you please hear me and just let me mention culture I, 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 you know I wrote an article three years ago and I just reposted it on my Facebook page about culture out there and accusing believers of being political because we take a stand for against abortion I don't take a stand against abortion because it's political. I take a stand against it because that baby was fearfully and wonderfully made. I take a stand against it because the DNA in that baby is different than the mom. And I take a stand against what's going on in culture because that baby is not their body. That baby has a body. And because I choose to stand for that 65, nearly 65 million babies that have been aborted since Roe versus Wade 
was established as law. Because I stand for the marginalized in that fashion, therefore I'm, I'm, I'm becoming political. I'm not becoming political. I don't care what politics says. I want to say what God says. I'm going to say what the Word of God says. I'm going to declare that that life is valuable. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.